Thank you for tuning in to the Monocle Dynasty Podcast, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Your hosts, Crescent and John, dive deep on players, rankings, strategies, and much more. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Monocle Dynasty. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. On today's episode, we're going to pick up where we left off on the last one. This time, we're going to be going with the NFC and AFC South, buys and sells. This is number two in our series of four. And uh, we're, uh, you know, we got a lot of great feedback from the last episode. We're hoping to give you guys some more good buys and sells uh, for this series. But I will say that this, uh, these two divisions were much more difficult than, uh, than the last ones. Just some of these teams trying to pick a, a buy or a sell is just uh, extremely difficult. And it's kind of weird, but it seems like their ADPs are, are kind of on point. As always, I have uh, Crescent with me today. How are you doing, Crescent? Um, I'm doing all right. Yeah, it was it was tough going through these because we're using the DLF ADP from May, so they haven't had the June update just yet. Um, so we're still looking at the May stuff, and you know, based on these ADPs, some of these guys like are right around it. You know, maybe a few spots here or there, but it was tough to really pick out on certain teams who was really a buy or who was really a sell. All right, so obviously we have a lot going on in the world right now, and we really haven't brought it up or discussed it. Uh, I've heard, you know, a lot of the the podcasts are kind of going over some things, and and rightfully so. Um, I know Crescent has been very busy over the last week or two, uh, you know, trying to do some things in his community. And so why don't you let us know what you've been doing? Yeah, so I'm part of an ethnic studies group, um, a cohort of teachers that has developed a, a curriculum that helps highlight a lot of the black indigenous people of colors histories and and teaching about you know migration and systems um, of oppression and and resistance movements and things like that in the past and so we were looking to expand our program and to get uh, more training for people in our district and things like that you know and all this is in support of things like the black lives matter movement and different activities like that that's why i haven't been act- like if you look on my Twitter page, I haven't really been posting or doing much because this has consumed a lot of my time. Um, but we have a petition right now to try to push our district to give us a teacher lead because we need people, someone in a position that can help guide our curriculum and help guide instruction and things like that. So if any of you are interested, um, you can click on my, my bio and I'll have a link to the, you know, a link that you can, you can go to the petition to sign just to give, show some support um, as we try to rebuild Stockton's community and, and give you know, our youth here in our town, um, more about their own histories. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, you might not always be able to do something like countrywide or worldwide, but you know, you can definitely start in your own community and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's no better place to start than right there. That's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's probably more that I could be doing. Uh, unfortunately I don't have like a position like that where I can really like, uh, take an easy step there, but you know, I'm always looking, uh, to, to better myself and better the community. So if I do come across anything like that, I'll definitely be helping out. But uh, yeah, definitely go over to uh, Crescent's bio and, and check out anything he's putting out. Like he said, I, I haven't even heard from him in, in about a week. So <laughs> he was like, hey, we're doing the pod. I was like, yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've been swamped helping, like working on this. We've been reaching out community members. You know, I've been obviously like working with different organizations and and just, you know, doing my own self-reflection stuff like that. Because even as an ethnic studies teacher and someone who, who teaches like a very diverse population, I still have my own 
undercovering biases that I'm working on and developing, like you never stop, you know, growing as a person. We talked about that, like even as a fantasy player, right? Like fantasy players, you never stop becoming uh, a learner or growing or becoming better, right? That's what life's about is just becoming a better person overall in whatever you're focused on. And so that's something I've been, you know, working a lot on this last week. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of excited since I haven't really done much fantasy talk or much fantasy focus. It's nice to kind of be back to, to talk a little bit about it as I take, you know, a brief mental break from everything. Um, so let's jump right in. Let's talk about the NFC South and let's start with a popular team that's been in the news a lot, the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> um, and yeah. you know, about who you think is a sell there on New Orleans. All right, so this one is probably going to be a little controversial. And uh, I know we've talked about it before on like the happy hours and stuff, how, you know, I, I am not as much of a believer in Kamara going forward. And uh, I, you know, it's really just where he's going, like his price. And he has, he, he has so many, so many question marks as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, but he's going off the board as the running back four overall and the fifth overall pick. So like extremely high, <laughs> extremely high. And yet he's 25 years old at the start of the season. He doesn't have a contract, you know, beyond the season. Uh, you'll have Drew Brees likely retiring after this season. And so, I mean, we don't know, like, do they have a reason to re-sign him? Because if they, if they go into this year, you know, if they go all in on this year and then they know that Breeze is gone, I mean, is there really a point to go pay someone like Kamara a bunch of money or, or are they going to go into like a mini rebuild or a full rebuild mode, uh, you know, knowing that there's uh, some other teams that, you know, might be uh, moving up and kind of taking their spot in the NFC. Uh, the next thing is that you know they, they really haven't had a wide receiver too in as long as I can remember. Basically, like, but I think you didn't you do something about it with like Marquez? It was like Marquez Colston and uh, and Brandon Cooks was the last time that they had like two viable wide receivers. Um, yeah, and yeah, so they, they don't normally have. To. I mean, the Thomas's first year with Cooks that was I think the last time that we really saw a viable wide receiver one wide receiver two that's what it was yeah yeah so yeah so they they did have the one year of that um but it's just like they haven't really had a like a true wide receiver two for a while and you know Kamara's had 81 receptions each of his three years which is kind of crazy that it's always been 81 but I just have a feeling that that's going to come down a little bit and not saying that it's like he's not going to lose everything. Like that's part of his game. He's definitely going to, you know, receive balls. But, uh, you know, if it's like 60 receptions instead of 81, that is going to make a difference. Um, and then the other thing is just he – I don't think his touchdown rate is going to be as low as it was last year because, I mean, it went from like the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. So it's probably going to be somewhere in between. But, you know, I did my initial rankings on him and – uh, he, he would actually come out as uh, or two, with 268.2 points, which would have been the RB7 last year. That's not a huge drop from the RB4 that he's being drafted at. But like I said, with all those question marks and the fact that he doesn't have any kind of contract and we don't know if people are going to want to pay a 26-year-old running back huge money next season, then I think that uh, picking him at running back four and more, like more importantly, the fifth overall pick is extremely overpaying for him. 
And so I, uh, I would just be trying to, you know, get a nice running back, maybe get like a wide receiver or something on top or just an extra little piece and uh, maybe try to get somebody a little safer that's, that's going behind them. I don't know. I, I still think, you know, like his, his receiving ability and what he brings to this team still works really well. And even if, you know, once Breeze retires and they, they move on, like if they draft someone, then that means like that they have the money to pay someone like Kamara for the first couple of years while they have that rookie contract that they can live off of. Um, so like, it's not, I don't know if I anticipate him leaving, even if he does leave, he's still right. He, that's like the, the thing I'm targeting when it comes to these right, these running backs that are going to be on their second contracts or, you know, are hitting this 26, 27 age gap. I want guys that can catch. And obviously he's shown he can do that. Um, I will say RB four does seem high, but then when I look at like who's behind him, like would I rather have him or Dalvin cook or him or Joe Mixon or him and Miles Sanders? Like, I don't know if I would put any of these guys that are directly behind him in ADP above him. Um, as far as fifth overall in startups, I guess that's where, you know, things get questionable, but I, I, I actually, I didn't write this in our notes, but a guy I would consider selling is Michael Thomas, just because he seems like he's at his absolute peak as far as value goes. And that's what we're always trying to, like, we always focus and emphasize that is, you know, obviously Michael Thomas is a guy that can win you leagues, but you know, there's some circumstances where you might need to have added depth, especially in a year like this, where it's very questionable about like how everything is going to play out and having extra depth could be good because who knows how the lack of practices and all this different stuff is going to affect people and injury wise, what, what's going to happen as a result. And so maybe you can, you know, sell off Michael Thomas for some extra assets, like a DJ Moore and some other things, kind of like what John actually brought up during his take it or leave it. So there's things like that that you could do as well. Um, I also think just, you know, that leads us to our buys and my buy is Emmanuel Sanders. And right now he's going, or in May, he was going as wide receiver 66 in startups. Um, he finished wide receiver 27 last year in PPR. And that was with, you know, trash quarterbacks in Denver with Flacco. And then Jimmy G who, you know, had a few good games, but mainly wasn't really slinging the rock much. He still managed to finish wide receiver 27 obviously it's a win now move he's 34 years old um but he's a guy who can win you a title this year as a flex guy and someone who you know obviously is going to be able to get consistent targets especially on a team that likes to you know spread the ball around a little bit and Drew Brees has shown like if you get open he's going to throw you the ball and I think Sanders still has that and he showed that and it, I would this is coming as someone who doubted him last year because I thought Achilles completely remove him off my list, but you know yeah. he showed you can't you can come back. Yeah, I was uh, I was feeling the same way about him last year. It was like there's no way he's going to come back, especially at his age. And he did, and and he did very well. And he switched teams in in the middle of the season and still still did very well. So it uh, it was kind of a crazy season. I mean, he's a very underrated wide receiver. I think um, kind of feels like. Uh, an older version of Marvin Jones at this point, <laughs> just like underrated, you know, maybe some injuries here and there, but um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I wide receiver 66 is just too low, especially if you're in win now mode for him. Uh, I also had Traquan Smith as a buy, uh, you know, it's nothing that I feel like amazing about. I, I did kind of like the player coming out of college um, and he's going as wide receiver 99 right now, which is just, kind of crazy so it's just the fact that you can get him that cheap um 
he did have from uh, weeks 12 on, which was like a couple weeks after he came back from his ankle injury, he averaged 8.43 points per week. And so, I mean, that's nothing amazing, but like if you have a, a you know, bye week, a few injuries or whatever, and you're drafting him as your wide receiver nine, <laughs> and then you throw him in there for like a bye week or something, you know, eight, nine points isn't terrible. Um, and, and being that, you know, Sanders is there, he might get some lighter coverages and maybe he can actually, you know, do something uh, without, you know, as much of the, uh, the eyes on him, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. And he, he can kind of take over that Ted Ginn role. And, you know, obviously he's more of a best ball guy, I think, in my mind. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I would be shocked if he didn't outproduce wide receiver 99. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to. It's like If you're on the field, you're probably going to get better than wide receiver 99. Uh, so unless you want to call him injury prone, which I definitely don't think, you know, that's the case, then. So that's the Saints. And I did want to say real quick on um, – I originally had Michael Thomas as my as my sell as well. Uh, the Really, like, it was kind of a coin flip for me. I feel like they're both kind of at their peak as far as Kamara and, and Thomas. And the coin flip for me was – or uh, the tiebreaker, I should say, was that Thomas has a contract. You know, and so, like, he's not going anywhere. Like, yeah, of course, the you know, there's going to be a quarterback change and everything. But people are talking about Jameis and, I mean – God only knows if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but like we've kind of seen Thomas has been kind of Thomas regardless of who's in there. So I, that's why I went there, but I definitely have no issues with selling him if you're getting a massive haul. I mean, that's what you're looking for at that point. So that brings us to the bucks. Um, you know, like I said, some of these were tough. Some of these were, uh, were easier. Uh, this one was a little bit easier for me as far as the, the sell goes. Um, I'm selling Godwin. I've talked about it on, on previous podcasts. Um, I, he, he's going as the wide receiver five overall and or, or the wide receiver five in startups and 11th overall, which, uh, is just way too high with as much as changing in his system. And I mean, the fact that like, we just talked about James Winston and I mean, James Winston kind of made him who he was or Bruce Arians made him who he was by being in the slot and then Winston throwing so many picks that he was throwing the ball 50 times a game. So, uh, you know, Winston's gone. We have a much more, uh, much more safe quarterback there. So he's not going to be turning the ball over nearly as much. They're not going to be coming from behind nearly as often because of that. And even with all of that going on last year, uh, from week eight on, cause he started the year off extremely hot and it was like, this is, unbelievable like he can't keep this up and then from week eight on Godwin averaged a wide receiver 27 weekly finish and that was even including when he was wide receiver one overall in uh, week 12 so like he really was like a wide receiver two almost a wide receiver three uh weekly in the second half of the season besides that one week and yet he's being drafted as the wide receiver five and 11th overall um and like I said, he, he started off so hot. Part of that was that he had a 16% uh, touchdown rate, which is just crazy. I mean, it's like it's never going to stay up that high. And that's what we saw. Like the first half of the season was unbelievable. And the second half of the season, the touchdown rate already started to decline. But even then, it's going to regress even more than that. And then the other thing is uh, Bruce Arians just came out this week talking about how they're going to be using uh, two, uh, two tight end sets more often which is actually going to be taking Godwin out of the slot where, you know, he thrived so much in, in 2019. 
So I just think that's a little too high for me, and I, I'd be looking to sell him. I actually wonder about that two tight end stuff because I came across that this week, and I wonder how, like, just how much of a two tight end sets are they really going going to run? Um, I know, obviously, OJ Howard and Gronk are are very good tight ends, or well, I mean, Gronk was. Who knows what Gronk looks like right now? But I, I don't know if you ever want to take your top one of your top stars like Godwin and move him out of a position that, you know, he was excelling in, but it'll be interesting to see like, okay, maybe they ran it at this percentage and they increase it by five to 10%. Is it, how much is that really going to affect Godwin? But I do agree, you know, like he's being drafted really high. Um, I think it's obviously because his age as well. And he's in a system that loves the slot and we all know Tom Brady loves his slot wide receivers and things like that. So, I could see, you know, selling him. I don't know. I think he's more of a hold for me. I didn't write this in our notes, but the guy I was thinking of selling was Keyshawn Vaughn. He's going at RB23. He's going ahead of guys like David Montgomery or Chris Carson or James Conner or Raheem Mostert, even Kareem Hunt. Like, I don't I don't really know if I'd want him in front of all those guys. Like, he still has to compete with Ronald Jones, who is very young in himself. Um, you know, there's just – there's a lot of space and I know a lot of people are hyped on Vaughn and they think he's the next big thing, but you know, RB all day has done enough to convince me that I should just kind of avoid this backfield in general, because we we don't really know who's going to be stepping out of it. And Vaughn isn't, you know, isn't a player that I thought was electric or thought was great or anything like that. When I've, you know, from the highlights, even that I've watched of him. And when I look at his other stuff, he's just, he's not an impressive back to me. Um, not that Ronald Jones is an impressive back, but it's just one of those situations. And we've talked about this in the past that, you know, Tampa's backfield is just, you know, it's mayhem. We don't, we don't really know. And I'd rather take like David Montgomery. We know he's going to get the carries. We know he's going to get the touches, right? Chris Carson, he's going to be fed the rock. Even if it's just for this one year, it's not like Vaughn's some young dude that's going to care. Like Vaughn's already 23. So for him to be at the RB 23 and startups ahead of some of these guys, I'm kind of iffy on it. I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like all those other guys I named are going to have better 2020s. If not, you know, maybe even some of them will have some better 2021s than him. Um, and so that's why I would, I, I think he's a sell. Um, and I know that gets me a lot of heat from some people in the community because some people are <laughs> um, strengthening like John Bauer, who's all about Keyshawn Vaughn, even has it on his chalkboard and everything like that. So I, I just, I think that he's someone I I would fade there, but we did agree on our buy. We agreed on our buy for this one. And that that's um, TB 12. So I'll let you go ahead, John. Yeah. I was just going to say with Vaughn, like someone's going to end up right. Like, (laughs) but you know, there's also the chance that just everyone's wrong. And uh, that's what we've kind of said, like in the past is that, you know, what if they just all kind of have a split and even like Dari Wale is still in there and everything. Like, what if that happens and then they just all suck? Um, and I'm kind of just leaning that way, like just to be safe because no, I'm not a Ronald Jones believer. Um, but I mean, he is there. He is young. He's, he is younger than Vaughn. Um, but I just don't, when I kind of look at it, it's like, okay, he's going to touch the ball some, Vaughn's going to touch the ball some. Like, it's just, it's like you said, it's going to be a mess, I think. As far as Brady goes, um, you know, it's it's just the fact that he has a he has a fully guaranteed two year contract. Yes, he's ridiculously old. uh, But I think, you know, while he's not maybe the 
Tom Brady of a decade ago. You know, I, I do think that he's good enough that with every single player that he has on that team, he can at least be like a mid to maybe even a high end QB two. And, you know, just the fact that you have, you know, two years guaranteed at that point, unless he just decides to retire. Um, but, you know, even then, like, even if you're only guaranteed this year, he's going as quarterback 26 right now. I mean, there's, there's so many guys that I would probably take him ahead of, or maybe not so many, but there's, there are guys that I would take him ahead of um, that don't even have nearly as much of the two years guaranteed that he does at this point. Yeah. Um, he, he, he finished QB 12 last year. Right. And we saw the weapons he had last year and it's not like he's going to throw the ball less in Tampa, right. They're going to throw the ball. We know that, you know, their run defense was really good. Their pass defense was questionable, even though they improved a little bit as the year went on, they're still going to throw the ball. Like that's what Arians does. He airs the ball out. And you have all these amazing weapons. You have Mike Evans, you have Chris Godwin, you have OJ Howard, you even have, you know, whatever Gronk is going to be at the very least (laughs) chemistry between Tom Brady and Gronk. Like they know each other, like they're best friends. So it's just one of those things. Like, I don't know how he's going QB 26, unless you think he's going to get hurt because of his age. And maybe, you know, there was those elbow issues, maybe something like what happened to big Ben pops up, but Outside of that, you know, like you're getting two years guaranteed in an offense like this, it's, you know, it's tough for me to fade that at 26, QB 26. Like that's your third QB probably on most teams. Yeah. I mean, if he was going, if, if he was going in like, you know, QB 15 or something like that, then obviously that's just dumb. But QB 26, it just, it just makes sense. Uh, oh, I, I was going to say, I actually do think that the, uh, the attempts will come down. Because they had, didn't they have the same exact amount of uh, the Bucks and the Patriots last year as far as like attempts per game? I think we looked it up on a previous pod and uh, I know they were very similar. And, but the difference is, is that uh, Winston was creating a lot of those attempts by, you know, turning the ball over and not only turning the ball over, but having it be uh, pick sixes, which then obviously gives them the ball right back. Um, and now they're down. So I, I do think that that's going to come down a little bit. And obviously they do have the running back situation that they have. So they might want to try and run the ball a little bit more this year. Not to mention they'll probably be ahead more often, um, or at least not as far behind as often. So I, I do think they'll come down. And that's why I'm still saying like high end to mid uh, QB2. I don't know that he's going to be in that, uh, in that QB1 territory, but you know, definitely much better than QB26. They were within 10 attempts of each other. Yeah, the two teams. But, yeah, I mean, like like you said, obviously maybe we see it go down a little bit, but it's not like Arians doesn't throw the ball no matter, like, who his quarterback's been, right? If we go back and look at Carson Palmer and, you know, he finds ways to get, get success out of quarterbacks. doesn't matter, like, even old quarterbacks. So I'm not that worried. Like, I think, you know, like you said, Brady – like, if Brady ended up QB – 17 16 like I would be I think that's probably right well right around where he will land so for him to go at QB 26 like I feel like you get a steal out of there you get someone who's going to be your super flex starter if not like you know a perfect guy to fill in I mean look at the defenses he faces Carolina two times a year Atlanta two times a year the Saints two times a year right like we know that the those those aren't exactly defenses that strike fear into people I know the Saints the Saints, you know, have one of those defenses that's like Freaky Friday. One week, they're insanely good, and one week, they're insanely bad, right? But um, still, like, 
getting six games against those defenses, he's perfect guy to like rotate in if you have three middle quarterbacks, you know, like Tannehill, Brady, Teddy Bridgewater. Like if those were your three quarterbacks, you can rotate them through and I'm guarantee you're probably going to end up with more more wins as a result than and so that brings us to to our next team in the NFC South and that would be the Panthers. Um, I'm gonna start with my buy because you know John's already gone over his buy in depth and I encourage you to go listen to it. It's only 10 minutes. Took me like nothing to do it while I was unloading dishes and stuff like that. But my buy is Teddy Bridgewater going at QB 23. Um, obviously he's in, he has some amazing weapons to throw to between Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore. Um, obviously Curtis Samuel is a threat. You add in Roby Anderson. Lots of people love Ian Thomas. Like there's just so many different weapons for him. Um, in games that he started last year on the Saints, he only finished below QB 23 once. They obviously have a horrible, horrible defense. They haven't really done much to improve that. Um, they lost their best cornerback in Bradbury as he went over to the Giants. And so odds are, like, they threw the ball a ton last year. And now they have a new offense with Joe Brady. And they have, you know, a new head coach. But Bridgewater has familiarity with Joe Brady from his time in New Orleans. Um, Brady had the most prolific pass offense in college football history in LSU last year. I cannot imagine him not throwing the ball nearly as much. Um, especially with a defense so bad. And when a QB throws the ball 600 plus times and went back, looked like the last five years, there's only been two times that they finished worse than QB 15. And that was Matt Ryan at QB 19 in 2015 and Carson Wentz at QB 24 in 2016. Both of those guys, TD percentages were insanely low below Teddy's career average. Um, It was actually below the worst of Teddy's career. Ryan actually tied it at 3.1% for a TD percentage. And so I just think, there's just too much there for Teddy Bridgewater to end up QB 23. Like this guy that could easily like one of those other guys that, like I said, with Brady could be somewhere between QB 14 and QB 18. And so I would buy him up. You know, he has a three-year contract. He's probably going to be QB for two. If you really, really aren't sure, you can always just go pick up someone like PJ Walker, who's his backup, who's dirt cheap because he's coming off the XFL. Um, So I just think he's a buy there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's almost a very similar argument to the whole Brady thing. It's just like he has at least two years guaranteed. Um, and, you know, at least with Teddy, like he's young enough to where if they do fall in love with them, then he could get another contract or, you know, another team could give him another contract. So it's not like with Brady, which you're basically saying two years, you know, with, with Teddy, you're like, all right. And I really do think that they will be throwing it over, you know, over 600 times. Like you said, there's just, their, their defense is so bad. And um, that actually, I mean, that I, I'm not going to really go over my uh, my buy just because it's DJ Moore. Uh, if you haven't listened to the last uh, Take It or Leave It episode, it, it was just from a few days ago. Uh, like Crescent said, I think it's like nine minutes and 45 seconds. It's very easy to listen to, very short, and it goes over everything that I need to say. Oh, I was going to say, that brings us to our cell, which, you know, is something that's tough to do. And it's sell Christian McCaffrey, right? Not easy to say, let's sell the best player in fantasy football. So John, lay out some of the reasons you think that you sh- he should be the sell on this team. Well, first of all, like we said, you know, at the beginning of the episode, like just some of these teams just don't really have like a good sell. I mean, 
CMC, the only reason why I'm saying to sell him is because he's going at 101. You can get such a ridiculous like return for him that it's just it, if someone's willing to give you some kind of crazy haul, and especially if like if you need some depth, if you need some other pieces besides just CMC, then it you know might be worth it for you to go ahead and, and take advantage of that. And I've seen some trades involving CMC, and it's like you get an entire team. <laughs> you can field like an entire team with what you're getting back in return for them. And so it just makes sense at that point. So no, if, you know, just like in previous episodes, like we're not telling you to sell them cheap. We're not telling you to sell them for nothing. We're telling you to sell him for as much as you can possibly get. But if you had to, you know, sell someone on this team, it would be CMC. Yeah. And this is mainly because the other guys on the team, you know, their ADPs are right around probably where they should be. They're not, being insanely overhyped or anything because everyone's pretty much on the CMC and DJ Moore train. And then a lot of these other guys, their ADPs are much lower than they probably should be, which makes them potential buys, like guys like Roby Anderson or Curtis Samuel. Like those could be guys that are buys, but they're not really sells because they're already, you know, so low in ADP that it's tough to really sell them for anything of value. And I mean, you know, like I'm not, I'm definitely not wishing this on CMC or, you know, like even saying it's going to happen, but like as much as he touches the ball, he is, you know, he is at risk of eventually getting an injury or getting worn down. And we've seen it with the other running backs. Like I said, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not even predicting it or even saying that there's a high chance of it. I'm just saying there's always that possibility. So if you can get a couple pieces in return, then, you know, maybe you're kind of hedging your bet a little bit. So that, that moves us to the Falcons, and this was another tough team, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it, but we'll, we'll start with our <laughs> buy here with Julio, who's going off the board as wide receiver 13 in startups. Wide receiver 13. And you think about that, like, even if, like, most people, you're trying to win now. Like, how many wide receivers are going to finish above Julio in 2020, Right. Even 2021, how many of you think we're going to finish above them then? Like a two-year period. Like you have to realize in dynasty football, like your your window is, you know, you can create these two to three-year windows and that's all you really need. Like you should be looking at two, like honestly, two to three-year windows the whole time. And Julio is not just going to die off. Like this legitimately one of the best wide receivers of all time, right? Like this isn't just some really good wide receiver or anything like that. Like he is honestly probably a top five wide receiver of all time. And he's not, you know, 34 like Emmanuel Sanders or 35 or 36. Like he's 30. You know, he's not dead, but people are treating him as he, as if he is. Well, he's actually 31, but I mean, <laughs> even then I'm still not selling them or I'm still not, you know, selling them short. Uh, you know, he, he really didn't show signs of decline last season um, if it was, it was minimal. And so, you know, he was still the what third wide receiver overall last season. We know that he's amazing. So I would just, he's one of those players that I almost just let die on my, on my roster. You know, like, I don't even mind if I don't get value from him three, four years from now or anything like that. Just like, it's going to be like Larry Fitzgerald. Everyone's going to keep saying he's going to retire. And then he's going to be like 37. He's still going to be, you know, a wide receiver two or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's – we then looked at, like, who to sell on this team according to ADP. So these are the ADPs of, like, major guys on this team outside of Julio. Matt Ryan at QB15. Like, Matt Ryan could easily be QB15. How are you going to sell him at QB15, yep. right? 
Um, Todd Gurley at RB19. I hate running backs in Dirk Cutter's system. He doesn't, you know, do anything for his running backs, and I've said that consistently. But RB19, like, that's a back-end RB2. You really think Gurley's going to fall that far? Um, like, Gurley probably going to finish somewhere around RB15 or something like that. Like, you can't sell him at 19. Ridley's at wide receiver 20. He's probably the only guy you can consider selling just because he, it feels like he's continuing to climb in a lot of people's rankings. But, you know, wide receiver 20, he could easily get that, if not better. Hurst at tight end 15, like, that's another guy that could be a buy. So it's just really tough. There's not really anyone that you can, quote, unquote, sell on this offense right now. Even just it's not, not Justin Gage or even Gage. Russell. Right? Russell, Russell. I was like, Justin Gage, that was the tight <laughs> wide receiver. Um, Russell Gage. Russell Gage, like, he could be a fine – like, he's someone you get the end of your startups that could instantly be the wide receiver three on this team. And if an injury happens, like, he's another guy who showed he can step up. Like, I just – it's tough to find a sell on the Falcons. It is. I mean, some people are really in love with Ridley. And so, at the wide receiver 20 price, I'm probably not selling him. But, you know, if, if he's creeping up and, you know, some people are talking about him being a top 12 wide receiver and stuff like that. And obviously if they feel that way, then I would call him a sell. But like I said, at that wide receiver 20 price, I, I really don't think so. So we really don't have one for, for the Falcons. Uh, and there's another team later on. They're kind of the same way. But, uh, you know, go buy Julio at those – I guess go buy all of them if it's at those prices. <laughs> yeah, I, I would just say, like, if you – are looking to sell Ridley, like make sure that you find there's people in your league that are in love with guys like him. You know, you could probably get a really, really good haul for a Calvin Ridley because his value, you know, has rocketed up over the last few months. And I think that's, a, that's someone that you could, you could easily flip for a better asset. Um, but you have to find the right seller with him. Yeah. So that brings us to the AFC South and we are, going to be going over uh, the Tennessee Titans, my team, to start it out. I uh, honestly, I kind of had uh, some difficulty with this one as well, just because I wanted to say Henry from the beginning is my buy, but then I didn't want to just be like a homer. You know, like I love Henry. I love the Titans. Like I, so I, I really wanted to like look at it and make sure that it actually made sense. And when I looked at, you know, like everything about it, the only thing I can come up with that doesn't make sense for him being a buy is the fact that he doesn't have a long-term contract. Um, but then when you look at the fact that he's the fourth highest paid running back in 2020, you know, they're going to use him. They've already talked about giving him an extension uh, or the fact that they're at least going to be working on an extension, you know, having extension talks. So like that to me, it really seems like he's the, backbone of that team like there's no way that they're letting him go um you know or if they were going to then they would have drafted a Jonathan Taylor or somebody like that I'm sorry Darrington Evans just isn't doing it for me um last year when uh Ryan Tannehill took over in week seven from then on Derrick Henry averaged 22.97 points which was a 16 game pace of 367 points which would have been the running back two overall because no one was touching McCaffrey last year, <laughs> uh, especially without catching the ball like Henry does. That would have been 50 points over the running back two, which now gets moved to the running back three. So he would have been 50 points above Aaron Jones from last season um, just on that pace. 
And that's without him catching the ball or doing anything. Like he had like what, 20 receptions last year. So like everything was exactly what it was. It was just once Tannehill took over once, uh, you know, once the line got in place because they had the, uh, the injuries and then they had the suspension uh, in the beginning of the season. So like everything kind of clicked right around that time. And then bam, Henry's giving you 23 points a week. Um, like nothing's changed as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. They got rid of, uh, of uh, Conklin, but then they drafted a, you know, an early round tackle to replace him. And that's never a guarantee, but you know, I believe in Henry enough that I don't, I don't know that one tackle is really going to change it drastically anyway. So I, I'm saying go by Henry. And the fact is because of his, because of his age and the fact that he doesn't have a, uh, uh, a contract he's actually going off the board as running back 13 right now which I mean you know like I said running back two is what he would have been last season in that 16 game pace so you're telling me you wouldn't pay running back 13 prices yeah I, I mean just at that that price like it's tough to to not buy Henry you know like he, especially with what he's shown and it's not like he has a lot of wear and tear right he he was kind of spared a little bit because of DeMarco Murray those first two years so even then, like, if you're worried about him, like, with injuries or things like that, like, he's obviously a really big dude that has shown he can, you know, he can bully through. He, his legs were saved the first few years. You know, he's easily someone I could see producing into, like, his late 20s, early 30, like, maybe 30, year 30 career or something like that, um, even without the catches. And the thing is, like, when they throw in the ball, he just, you know, I feel like, every other game he was taking a 60 yard screen or a 60 yard screen pass or a dump off to the house. Right. It's just one of those things Like maybe they should start throwing him the ball more. <laughs> well, I'm wondering because everyone keeps saying that Darrington Evans is going to be the third down back, but Darrington Evans had a worse uh, target share in college than uh, Derek Henry did. So I'm wondering if maybe they're going to be mixing him in a little bit more. I'm not saying he's going to be out there every third down or anything like that, but like you said, all he needs is like one reception to take it to the house. And, and so, I mean, it, it can make a difference. If he just gets a couple more a game, that could be a huge difference. Yeah. And so there, there's an obvious sell that John's going to talk about, but I want to bring up a sell that I think a lot of the fantasy community, at least what I see on Twitter is a little overhyped on him. And that's Johnu Smith. Um, he's only going as tight in 17 in, in dynasty startups. So it's not like he's going crazy value, but I feel like a lot of people like him more than what that startup position is showing. And I just, I don't think there's enough there for him. Um, from week seven forward, when he started to maintain a snap share of 73% or higher, his average targets was only 3.6 during that time span. That would have been 22nd in targets last year if he kept that. Um, he's not a red zone guy. He had two targets inside the 10. That's the same as Anthony Fersker. And first year played one third of the snaps, but only had 20 less targets overall. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where people like remember that catch against the Ravens where that crazy one handed catch in the, in the playoffs. And a lot of people are reading about him and Tannehill, like working together this off season and throwing to each other. And so that's why I don't think that tight end 17 ADP uh, really shows what his value is. I think people value are valuing a little more. I think he's one of these, you know, these breakout players. A lot of people have talked about him as a, a breakout tight end. I just, I don't think there's enough there for him, especially because, right, A.J. Brown's going to have some more targets than what he had last year. Uh, Corey Davis is still alive and, you know, has shown he can get open and get catches. It's just 
one of those things that's going to take away. They're going to be feeding Derrick Henry the ball a lot. I just don't think there's enough there for Jonu to get consistent enough targets to be a viable threat, even though he's hyper-athletic and everything like that. Yeah, you know, like you said before, this is May ADP, so he very well could be uh, even substantially higher in June ADP. Um, I actually like Janu a little bit more than, than you're uh, putting out there, uh, especially at his tight end 17 price. Like, if that's the case, then to me, that's not a sell. Now, if people start, you know, talking about him being a top 12 or something like that, then maybe, maybe then he is a sell. Um, I really wanted Corey Davis to be my buy, uh, but then it's just Derrick Henry to me is just, he's the man in Tennessee. And so, like, how can you have, like, if it's especially if it's a three-way split if you're talking about Corey Davis AJ Brown and uh Johnny Smith like a three-way split with the targets then you know like I think they're all going to kind of come down and everything but at least with Johnny it's a tight end so like yeah you, you know you don't need uh 14 points in a week to have like a good week for tight end you need like eight points and Johnny could definitely get you eight points now he's probably going to have weeks where he gets you two points as well but you know like uh you know I just – I wouldn't hate it for a tight end. So I'm just going to go through – these are some people being drafted around him, right? Like So like plus three, minus three around him. So you have Hayden Hurst, who is the undoubted number one tight end in Atlanta on a team that's going to throw the ball 600-plus times. Um, you have Blake Jarwin, who we've discussed already in the past and, you know, I think is someone who's also going to get a lot of targets, even with, you know, the addition of C.D. Lamb. Um, so those two are just in front of him. Behind him, you have Irv Smith Jr., who is probably my favorite tight end, like young tight end, um, and I think is going to be taking over a lion's share, maybe not this year, but next year, right? Um, Jack Doyle, who, spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about him later, but is one of my favorite buys in general if you're trying to win in 2020. It's just I don't think that he's going to be, you know, obviously we've talked about there's a lot of guys, you know, bouncing around here and there who – could finish somewhere between tight end eight and tight end 22. But I just, I think John is not going to get enough action to try to, to move up. I think he's probably going to be around where he is, but there's a lot of people who think he's going to be a lot more than what he is. And that's what I would, I would try to utilize that. Even if it's just like an additional trade ship, you know, to, to sweeten a deal. That's how I got, you know, a deal from, from someone in our league is I added John new on it. And he took the deal because of that, right, as a sweetener. So it's just one of those things. I think he's a good trade chip that you can add in to, to make deals more palatable if guys, you know, are like, oh, you know, this is a young tight end that has a lot of, you know, ability. Maybe that's going to swing it just enough for them to accept the deal. Yeah, like I said, I mean, if, it, if he starts creeping in the top 12, <laughs> I could definitely see him being a sell. But um... – I just I think he has those he can have those like big weeks you know like I said it's going to be kind of like a three way split between him uh, C D and A J Brown and so like you, you see it in his uh, you know in his 2019 season like he just has those big weeks and I mean if your tight ends getting you 17 18 points sometimes like yeah it might not it's not going to happen every week but when it does you you very well may win your week that that week <laughs> um so. You know, like Crescent said before, my my cell is probably a little more obvious, and that's going to be AJ Brown. Um, you know, just like I was just talking about, like I just don't think they're going to have enough targets to go around. Um, Corey Davis isn't dead. Uh, we saw that in the playoffs where he actually out targeted 
A.J. Brown uh, in the playoffs. N- neither one of them were, were pretty. <laughs> you didn't really want to have either one of them at that point. But uh, guess what? Corey Davis isn't going off the board as wide receiver nine. A.J. Brown is. So he just – everything about last season, while as much fun as it was to watch, and especially if you had him in fantasy, you know, towards the end of the season, it was amazing. But he had a 16% TD rate we were talking about before with Godwin, where it's just, it's not going to stay that way. Like just for like DeAndre Hopkins had a 6% touchdown rate last year. Uh, Julio Jones had a 6.1% uh, touchdown rate. Like even like a lot of your like top 10 uh, wide receivers are around like the six to seven, 8% rate, something like that. That's why when we talk about, uh, you know, touchdown rate regressing it's because it's not going to stay at 16 percent like it's always going to come down maybe it doesn't come down to six percent but it's not going to be up that high uh he averaged only 6.25 targets per game uh once Tannehill took over and so if you if you extrapolate that out to a 16 game season that's only 100 targets which is not wide receiver one targets like not wide receiver one numbers so unless they just completely change the way that they they do things in Tennessee i don't see him actually being a wide receiver one just for that very reason he doesn't get enough targets um then the the next thing is he averaged 20.2 yards per reception last year. And so I, I looked up some of the other top 10 wide receivers. You have DeAndre Hopkins at 11.2, Julio at 14.1, Godwin, who was another outlier, at 15.5, Thomas, uh, 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 Michael Thomas, the wide receiver one last year at 11.6, Cooper Cup at 12.4, and Allen Robinson at 11.7. The only one that even got remotely close to him is another one of my cells, uh, from a, a future episode, and that's going to be Kenny Galladay. And he was at like 18.8, I think. So 20.2 is an extra two yards or an extra yard and a half on top of that. And then, you know, you're talking about almost eight, nine yards over some of these top 10 wide receivers. It's just never going to happen. I mean, you're literally talking about every time he catches the ball, he gets two first downs. Like, come on. You know, it's just it's just crazy. Um so as far as I'm concerned, Henry's still the focal point and wide receiver nine is just crazy. Like, don't get me wrong. I like AJ Brown. I love his talent. The guy's awesome. But in that offense, just like I love Corey Davis, I, I love his talent. But in that offense, I don't think either one of them are going to be, you know, as good as they should be. However, Corey Davis is going as like wide receiver 51 or something like that. So if anything, I'm taking Corey Davis at his ADP over AJ Brown at his. Yeah. Are you, when you have the ADP, is it just dynasty? Cause it, the dynasty super flex on DLF, it has him at um, 11. I know that's not big a difference, nine and 11, but I was just curious to. Oh, uh, you, you know, I, I didn't even bring up Superflex on that one. I was just looking at where they were in the wide okay. receiver. I wonder range, why so. there's a difference in that between the Superflex ADP and just regular Dynasty because it's not like uh, – They're based off a different mock. So, you know, it's it's just, I guess, where they were drafted in those mock well, drafts. I, yeah, I understand that. I just meant I wonder why they were drafted differently. Yeah, that is – I mean, that is weird. It's just, I guess, different people, but yeah. Um, So, I mean, with that said, you know – I don't think he finishes as a wide receiver one at 11. So I could see the sell there, but I do think he has a lot more potential than what, what people are giving him credit for. And I think we'll see an increase in his targets, which will not completely offset how crazy efficient he was, but 
you know, he's someone that I think can, is probably still going to finish as a top 15, 16 wide receiver all the year, you know, just not at wide receiver 11 per se. So I understand selling him, but I, I think, you know, it's one of those things he's really young. He has a lot of potential. He showed it what it is. We know wide receivers that have um, a, was it, I think it's yard, like a yard per route over two. Um, you know, they end up having like 11 out of 12 of them have had, uh, you know, we've had this discussion before, but 11 out of 12 of them have a wide receiver one season later on in their career. And so it's just one of those things that like, I think he's going to be successful in his career and people might just want to hold on, even if that means you're only getting wide receiver 15, 16 this year, like at some point you are going to be getting, a, you know, probably a top end wide receiver. And it's just one of those things that if you want to hold on for that, and realize that he's probably not going to match ADP this year, but he could definitely do that or pass it up, you know, in his third year or fourth year. Like, who knows what how this offense changes as it goes forward, and maybe he becomes that guy that they feed instead of Derrick Henry as Henry gets older or, you know, as Henry leaves the team potentially. So I, I could see, like, if you're looking win right now, yeah, I would wide receiver 11, sell him. He's probably not going to match that. But that isn't, you know, long-term, it's one of those things. That's what's tricky about it, like, in two years, he could be the wide receiver nine. And it's that's where the tough part is right there. And buy Corey Davis at some point in the season because next year he will most likely not be on the Titans. And then he could actually go somewhere where they throw the ball more than 15 times a game. John, John's holding out for that, that Devontae Parker breakout from Corey Davis, oh. fifth year breakout. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Hey, look at that. Devontae Parker's like, uh, what, a top 18 wide receiver right now? So if it can happen for Parker, I promise you it can happen for Davis. True. Very, very true. Um, so let's switch gears. Let's move over to the Texans. Um, why don't you start with yourself? Because I know it's going to be a little more controversial. All right. So, you know, once again, just looking at these teams, it, it's kind of hard to pick with some of these, but like my cell is just going to be going with the, the highest guy again, and it's going to be Deshaun Watson. He's going off the board as QB4, which hasn't changed since last year when he was – well, I guess he was probably going as QB3 last season, right? Um, so now he's going off the board as QB4 because Kyler moved above him. But he lost one of the best wide receivers in the league, and his numbers have gone down every year as far as, like, his, uh, his uh, efficiency. Like, his – his uh, yards per attempt, his uh, rushing yards per game have gone down. His first season, he, he was rushing 38.4 yards per game. Second season, 34.4. And now his third season, he was at 27.5 yards per game. So I don't know if that's just game flow or if they're trying to save him so he doesn't get killed out there or what. But, you know, when you're talking about a rushing quarterback, those things matter. And it's kind of what we saw, what we've, talked about on the last episode was Russell Wilson where like he started out really hot and then by what year four or five the numbers start really coming down and you can't really bank on those those uh huge rushing yards and especially he had seven rushing touchdowns last year so if he comes down his rushing yards come down a little bit more you would expect those rushing touchdowns to come down uh and even if it's just you know two or three here or there you know that's still going to be a pretty substantial drop and kind of going with the same theme as, as Tennessee, but like they don't throw the ball that often. He's averaged 500 attempts over his last two seasons. So he had 505 in 2018 and he had 495 last year. 
So now you take away one of the best wide receivers in the league and add in a good wide receiver in Brandon Cooks, but we don't know, you know, how healthy he's going to be, how healthy he's going to stay. And it's his first year in this offense. So we have no idea how everything's going to click. And I'm sorry, but you're taking away DeAndre Hopkins. Like he should be going down. Now I'm not saying that all of a sudden he's a QB 20 or something like that, but you know, like, I just think QB four is a little, a little bit high and that you should be uh, selling them while you can, you know, to get, to get something back for that. I think the interesting thing with Watson for me, I've fluctuated on where exactly to put him. I mean, it's, you know, if he, I could see him finishing QB six and it's not like it's that big of a deal between those two spots. Um, as far as cooks goes, like we've seen him jump into new offenses and just excel. There's some, like, he's a smart player. He's a really bright dude. And he's shown like he can just fit into whatever offenses he goes into. Right. And he, I think he's going to, his talents match with, what Watson can do. So it'll be interesting to see that dynamic play out, but I can see, you know, QB four does seem a little rich right now. Um, I feel like he, he's starting to maybe fade a little bit on, on that as far as like where he's, he's going, but it's tough for me to really say like which QB behind him, I would really want over Watson. And that's more of where I struggle is like, I look at the QBs going behind him, maybe Dak, right? Dak's going QB five. I would take Dak over Watson. But then we're into Wilson, Wentz, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Mayfield, like those ranges. I don't really know, you know, who in that group I would say, like, yeah, they're going to finish better than Watson. And so that's what makes that a tougher sell for me. But I, I understand where the mentality is. Like, I don't, you know, his upside seems to be limited more than we think it is, right? And what people imagine it is. And so I went with my buy is Duke Johnson. And this is more because I'm thinking of like guys that can easily outperform what their ADPs are. And he's going as RB 55 right now in drafts. He's not old. He's only 26. He showed he can be effective as a runner. He obviously showed he's dynamic as a pass, uh, as a receiver and someone who can catch passes out of the backfield. The only guy ahead of Duke Johnson is David Johnson. And David Johnson is ancient. He's had a bunch of back injuries. He's had repeated back spasms, obviously. It's not like David Johnson's a really good just runner in general, right? Like, his, he's not known for being a great runner. He's known for being a good receiver. And so I don't know how much David Johnson's going to be effective as, like, that Carlos Hyde role that we saw last year. And maybe Duke can start chipping away at some of those carries and getting a little more of that. And – Behind him is Buddy Howell and Karen Higdon. So if you even can tell me anything about those players, I would be impressed with you because those are practice squad level players that are behind him. If something happens to David Johnson, Duke Johnson is going to be getting the rock a lot more than people anticipate. Even if it's just 15 touches a game, that's really good for someone like Duke Johnson. And so as a result, he could easily outpay that RB 55, if not better. Um, even last year, he was RB 38 in his role where he gave up a bunch of touches to Carlos Hyde, right? So it's just one of those things that I think it's, I can easily see a lot of paths where he outplays that ADP. And you also add in Texas D is terrible. Um, they play from behind a lot. Last year, they were behind on 47% of their plays. That's where he excels. He's that type of player that fits into the offense that does that. And they know they can game plan to give him the ball. Look at the Patriots game last year where they purposely used him more than Carlos Hyde against the Patriots, and he killed it. 
he murdered in that game. And it's just one of those things like maybe if Bill O'Brien, and I know it's tough to, to trust Bill O'Brien to be competent because he's not always the most competent coach. We know he's not a competent GM, but as a coach, you know, he, he does know how to game plan at times. And if he just gets Duke the ball 15 times a game, he's going to kill that ADP. Um, and that's, you know, like I said, you're banking on an injury a little bit, but even without the injury, he's still going to be getting more touches than we anticipate. Yeah, I was looking at his numbers and, you know, cause honestly he, he kind of was like an afterthought to me. Uh, but, you know, after looking at what you were saying or listening to what you were saying, you know, he had the 15th most targets last year. Um, and so I think the, the real question is just going to be a matter of health with David Johnson. If, if he's David Johnson of old, then, then, you know, it, it's probably going to hurt Duke Johnson quite a bit. If he's David Johnson, the old, then it's probably going to, you know, it's, then, you know, he very well could have a huge thing. And, you know, like, yeah, I, I, man, you know what, last year, I remember I was doing some deep dives on some players and I remember Karen Higdon was one of the players that I, that I actually did know. And now I can't remember anything about him because he's just insignificant. So I, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I, I wanted to like call you out on him and be like, no, I know who that is. And I do know who it is, but I could not tell you a single thing about him. <laughs> exactly. I had to go and look these guys up to figure out like, oh, they just played in some preseason games. They were waived at different points. And, you know, they've been on the Texans yeah. for a couple years, but they're not anyone worth even caring about. And so if something happens to David Johnson, like has happened repeatedly over the last few seasons, Duke Johnson's the only guy there. Like there isn't yeah. anyone else. Like obviously they can try to pick someone up off the street or anything like that, like they did with Carlos Hyde. But unless we see like a major running back cut, I don't think there's anyone that can really step in here. And Duke Johnson, you know, like I said, even if he's not getting 20 touches a game, which is crazy, like there's no way Duke Johnson will ever get that. But if he's getting 14, 15 touches a game, like that's a guy that's going to be a flex play for you at the least. And you're getting him at RB55, yeah. which is like your, your RB5 or 6. Like, it's yeah, tough. To you're get. getting him for so cheap. Um, and, you know, you brought up a great point that I don't think a lot of people realize that David Johnson is not a great running back. He is a great player or at least he, you know, he was, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he's getting a little older and everything we'll have to see, but uh, he was never a great, like, you know, in between the tackles kind of runner. And so we just don't know exactly how they're going to use him, but they did pay him a ridiculous amount of money. So we just, we don't know. It's, it's so hard, but you know, at that price, I'm definitely buying me some Duke Johnson. In fact, I might go look uh, to do that now. Cause like I said, he's kind of just been like an afterthought for me. You got to do it before the pods released. Um, but that brings us to our next team. We're going to talk about the Colts. All right. So with the Colts, uh, well, actually, Crescent already alluded to his buy. So I'll go ahead and just go to uh, my buy, which is just going to be a quick one, which is by, uh, Paris Campbell. You know, I, he's going as the wide receiver 59 right now. And that just seems extremely, extremely low, especially as I mean, he was a first round pick last year in, in rookie drafts. And it wasn't that he was terrible or anything like that. He just, he had two like major broken bones. He had, I believe a broken hand and then a broken foot. So they're not even like ligament tears or MCLs or ACLs or anything like that. It's just broken bones, which maybe, you know, maybe he needs to drink a little more calcium, but I don't think it's going to hurt him in the future. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really have much more to say about that than just, you know, buy him like, T.Y. Hilton is on his way out. Maybe it's not this year. 
Uh, I kind of think it is, but like I, T Y Hilton's on his way out and Michael Pittman is not a T Y Hilton replacement. Paris Campbell is a T Y Hilton replacement. So go by Paris Campbell. Yeah. I, I mean, get that boy some milk. Cause you know, like two broken bones, that's, that's a bad sign for him. He's got to, got to get more calcium intake there. Um, but I was hyped off Paris Campbell last year. You know, I liked a lot of his stuff, liked a lot of his metrics, a lot of, you know, his speed, all that kind of stuff. I was kind of disappointed to see he got hurt and just tailspinned his rookie year because, you know, he's a young guy that has a lot of talent, and I think he could be really utilized in that offense. Um, that brings me up my buy, who's not a young guy. He's actually a very old guy, and I've talked about him already, but he's going tight end 19 in startup drafts, and that's Jack Doyle. Um, there's not really any threats to take over that tight, that starting tight end spot. Moali Cox hasn't gotten more than 13 targets in a season. Um, Burton, you know, that dude doesn't even play, honestly, anymore. And so I just don't think there's anyone that's going to be a threat to him. And we know Rivers loves to pepper the tight end with targets. When he's had a healthy tight end that's not named Virgil Green, he gets them the ball, you know, somewhere between 20 to 25% of the time. The Colts tight ends the last two years have had 25.7 and 26.3% target shares. Um, so that's with, you know, luck. And then with Brissett and all the other guys that played as well. And so it's really easy for me to see Doyle ending up with 90 to hundred targets. And if you have a tight end getting you that many targets, it's going to pay off and you're going to see a guy that's going to be a lot better than tight end 19 and what we saw there. Yeah, like you said, there, there's really not too many uh, or too much competition for him as far as tight end. I'm not really worried about Mo Alley Cox. Trey Burton couldn't stay healthy if his life depended on it. Um, it I just, I at tight end 19, it's completely worth it. I have no issues with it. I'm not a huge fan of Doyle. I don't think he's really anything amazing, but like you said, with uh, Rivers, the way he targets the uh, the, the tight end uh, position, he very well could be you know, at least a top 12 tight end if everything works out. So we'll have to wait and see, but. Um, I think Doyle is a perfect guy, like, to, like I've said in the past, to pair with one of these young guys that you like. Like maybe you do like a John and you think he's going to break out this year or next year. Or like for me, I love Irv Smith. So I like pairing Irv Smith with Jack Doyle. So then if Irv doesn't take over this year, I know he'll take over next year when Rudolph's cut. And I have Jack Doyle to kind of be that bridge for me. And so late with tight end 19, you know, and how cheap people have tight ends and they really don't care about their tight ends and tight ends boring and all that stuff. He's a guy that can be a real steal here. Yeah. You're speaking my language. <laughs> um, all right. So that brings us to our cell, which is uh, Michael Pittman. This wasn't like an obvious cell either. It was just really that, you know, well, I guess, as far as the player, the player doesn't seem to be an obvious sell, but when you look at the ADP, it just makes sense. He's going as wide receiver 37, so almost a wide receiver three. He's never stepped on the field. Um, he has some injury concerns and uh, already coming into the NFL, and we just we have no idea. Like There's so, so many things up in the air with that team. Uh, we don't know who Philip Rivers is going to fall in love with. It very well could be Jack Doyle. It could be Paris Campbell. It could be T.Y. Hilton. You know, who knows? But uh, just 37 seems uh, just a little bit too high for me. Obviously, it's going ahead of Hilton, which I think he's going as like the wide receiver 50 or something like that right now. 
Pittman's um, going, I think, at 41 is what it is. So, like, oh, 41, okay. Pittman's yep. going, you know, like four spots ahead of Hilton, but Hilton's, a, like, we know Hilton's a better player, at least right now. Obviously, Hilton's health is the concern for yeah. him, but, you know, Pittman, I like Pittman, but he's a guy who has a late breakout age, um, which obviously tends to lead to a lower hit rate. Um, we know rookie wide receivers tend to struggle a little bit with adjustments. Even look at like the guys that broke out last year, like Debo and AJ Brown and um, DK Metcalf, like they were more second half guys. Right. And so this is one of those things where like, you can probably try to grab someone like Pittman, who's, you know, at the very least third option on this team, probably a fourth option. And maybe even sometimes a fifth option, depending on if Hines is on the field. And so as a result, you know, you can probably sell him now and buy him back in the middle of the season after he's had a little bit of struggles and reap the benefits there. Yep, exactly. All right, so that brings us to our last team, and that is going to be the the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this one was probably the most difficult one for me, uh, just trying to figure out a buy or a sell and just – Honestly, like, I think that the team is just too bad to find a sell. Like, there's no, <laughs> um, you know, they're just, no one is really being hyped is the problem. You know, you uh, you have Gardner Minshew at quarterback 27, which, like, uh, Crescent's a little bit higher on him than I am. So, like, Crescent thinks that's a little too low. I think that's right around where he should be, quarterback 27. So, like, you know, not a buy, not a sell, just right where he should be. Uh, LaVisca's at uh, wide receiver 46, Fournette's at running back 20. Like, I, I love Fournette for 2020, but then, you know, there's a lot of question marks after that. So I understand the running back 20 uh, price, and it just – how do you put a, a sell on any of those guys? Um, the, the highest rated player is Fournette at running back 20 uh, as far as, like, positional value. And so, you know – that leads us to our buy. But like I said, I, I can't really pick a sell out of these players. I don't know if Crescent figured one out. <laughs> no, no, I, I know. I, I couldn't figure out a, a sell because I want to buy all these guys. I know you're low on the Jags and I understand that, but I just think this is going to be an opportunity for people to kind of jump on guys who are, are much being drafted much lower than I think they should. Like my buy is, EJ Chark, I've talked about him a lot. He's going wide receiver two. He's behind Lamb and Judy still. Um, if we remove the last two weeks of the season where he had come off an ankle sprain, his snap started to trend down, he would have been number nine in PPR for wide receivers last year. He has upside. He showed it. He was wide receiver one or a, a wide receiver one a lot of different times. Minshew actually had really good accuracy on deep balls and connected with Chark. Um, they're switching to an offense with Jay Gruden who likes to feed the alpha in chart. And so as a result, like I really think Minshew is going to do, you know, at least QB 20 to me. Um, Lavishka, okay. Like he's a guy that I could see falling back from wide receiver 46, but it's one of those things Like he's probably your fourth or fifth wide receiver for some teams. Fournette at 20 is insane value to me. Like I don't, I don't think he's going to repeat an RB eight or whatever he was last year, because I think his targets are going to go down, but we're going to see that positive TD regression this year. And I think that, you know, it's for him to be at RB 20 is insane to me. Like he's easily a guy I could see finishing at, you know, RB 13, RB 12, 
somewhere around that range. And as a result, you know, like I think you're getting a steal and I'm not concerned about him not having a contract with the Jags. Cause like you said, the Jags are a terrible team. Like I wouldn't want him on the Jags next year. I would want him to be able to go somewhere else that he could excel. Like what if, <laughs> Please. what if he ends up on like Seattle next year, right? He takes over Chris Carson's role in Seattle or what if he goes to, you know, a team, a team like Houston and he can be that Carlos Hyde, but a way better version of Carlos Hyde. Like there's just so many different things that, um, I think, you know, you could see, see, is happening. it getting hot in here? Or is it just me? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just think like, it's funny because I spent a lot of the off season telling people that I don't like Fournette, that I don't like Fournette because people kept saying he was going to repeat at RB8 and he was going to have a hundred targets, which I said from the start was not going to happen because Jay Gruden's offense doesn't work like that. Then they go sign Chris Thompson and everyone's like, Oh, never mind. It's not happening. Like fade him, fade him. And I just think your fate, it's an overcorrection. RB20 is an overcorrection. He's still really young. He's shown he can catch the ball. And he has that draft pedigree, which does matter to NFL teams. They're more willing to give former first-round players more shots than they are these other guys. And so I just think there's, you know, I've written an article that posted last week or the week before that talked about older running backs that are going to be hitting that second contract. And as a result, people are fading them, but these guys are going somewhere. There's a lot of openings, right? Like there's a ton of openings actually. And there's just so many spots I could see Fournette go. That would be amazing to watch him. Like Pittsburgh, right? If James Conner leaves and then Fournette steps in as they're running back or who knows like what's going to end up happening. But it's one of those things, like there's a lot of teams more than you think that are going to have openings at running back next year. And Fournette's going to find a home. And he's shown he's capable of doing really well. And imagine him on an actual good offense where he's going to get more red zone touches. He's going to be on the goal line more. He's going to get more scoring opportunities. He's a big dude. And he's shown that he can, he can score if he gets a chance. Just he has a really, really crappy O-line that, you know, just like Nick Chubb last year, they couldn't block for anything, right? Like you couldn't get Superman through those holes into the end zone <laughs> sometimes. So it's just one of those things I think, you know, maybe he, I should wrote him as my buy because I, I just feel like this whole offense could be a buy and people are sleeping on them. Exactly. I mean, for me, like Chark at, at wide receiver 22 is, is maybe a little low. So I, I can, I can agree that he's the buy for this team. I don't love the player necessarily, but wide receiver 22 isn't bad. Um, so I can definitely agree with that. Um, I guess we'll kind of stick with the compass and uh, we started with the West when we went to the South. And so we'll, we'll go around to the East for, for the next episode and then we'll finish with the North uh, in the week four. So uh, hopefully this can help you at, uh, with, you know, going and, and buying and selling some of these players. And uh, we'll be back next week to go over the NFC and AFC East. But until then we're cashing out.